Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a successful business, I've met directly or indirectly many successful people from entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes someone successful? Do we even know what success is? And the all important question, can we create it for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. Today's guest, I'm delighted to say, is Derek Lockie. If you don't immediately know who he is, listen to this. From international junior swimming champion and charity fundraiser, having completed John O'Groats Land's End and the London Marathon twice, to 30 years service in the police force where he led the community's response to a high-profile murder case which changed society's views on antisocial behaviour. He's a hostage crisis negotiator, firearms commander and works at Westminster and the Ministry of Justice London advising the victims commissioner, politicians and policymakers on the strategic matters which have brought about so much change. He now coaches, mentors and advises individuals, organisations and businesses on what he describes as the compassionate route to success. So it gives me great pleasure indeed to welcome today's guest, Derek Lockie. Derek, welcome. Hi, Sandro. Thank you for asking me along. God, pleasure is all mine. Uh, we have half an hour. Yes. From everything I know about you, Derek, there's lots and lots to pack in. So I'm going to fire straight off with the first question, if I may. Okay. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. For people who don't know Derek Lockie, who are you? Where do you come from? Well, I'm uh, originally from um, the Glasgow, you won't tell by my accent, but uh, I grew up in the area of Chorley and uh, I joined the police service when I was aged 18 after a varied uh, career of uh, being a Ponty's Blue Coat for a season and uh, and a swimming career. And through joining the police force, I had the opportunity to work with some wonderful people, uh, do some fantastic things and uh, thoroughly enjoy the service that I gave. So um, one of the things that I'm intrigued to know, <laughs> slight varied career, if you don't mind me making the, the observation straight away. How and why did you, did you join the police service at the age of, I think, 18, right? Yes, at the age of 18, uh, I had, you have alluded to the fact that I was a swimmer and uh, daily a lot of the people who were in swimming went in to join the police service. I think it's because some of the qualities were professionalism, there was discipline, and it just sounded a, an exciting and varied career speaking to people. So I took an interest, uh, I went for those interviews and uh, thankfully I was accepted. So you weren't a Bobby on the beat, because I know a lot about you in terms of uh, quite a few pivotal moments in your career. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm right in saying a hostage and crisis negotiator. I mean, fascinating to the extreme. Tell us a little bit about, um, about that work. Well, that, that's a, a great title. It goes into two parts, really. There's the part which deals with people in crisis, which could be people who are about to take their lives. Or it's actually the part where people are actually made unwarranted demands with menaces. We sort of support them in that. And there is the covert world that you'll see on the television. I won't go into too much. Um, it was an area that uh, I was quite defined early in my career as a, a senior investigating officer on a child protection investigation. And uh, we looked after children who were suspected of being um, subjected to abuse. And one of the particular children who fell under the inquiry sadly committed suicide. And that was pivotal for me for two things. One, I was troubled that people within the judicial system could not feel supported enough. Mm. And secondly, I really wanted to understand what had uh, drawn that young man to kill himself. Uh, and to the day, I'm still quite inspired by that young man. I always hold him near to my heart. 
That's that's really fascinating. How do you how do you deal? I mean, what's number one? What's it like negotiating to save a life? And, and emotionally, how do you how do you deal with that? Because I mean, there's a there's a lot of self imposed expectation and a lot of pressure that goes with that. How do you how do you deal with that? I think there is. I think uh, deep down, my values are of compassion. Uh, you are selected after a rigorous selection process. You go through weeks, months, and years of training. You're very well supported as an operator. And you've got to ground yourself because any words or actions you take, you, you've got to, you're meeting somebody you've never met before. They're a stranger. You might be the last person they might ever speak to, and you have to connect with them pretty quickly. You need to listen and tap into what their beliefs and values, needs, and wants are and give them reasons to want to live. Everybody has a reason. They might have a family, part of a family affiliation, or they've got a choice of whether they do it. Mm. They, they might feel that there's a lack of appreciation. And they have a role in status. They are somebody's father. I always bring it back to myself. That could be my loved one that's on that bridge. And I care enough and I listen enough and I'm trained enough to want to give them opportunities because it matters. Mm. And you've got to really ground yourself because you've got a mixture of emotions going on, but you're supported by a team. There's a team of you. And actually, it's the most rewarding job in the, that I could ever come across or ever want to do. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a very, it's a very tough thing to have to do, but a lot of people listening will be thinking, hang on a minute, this is a, a podcast series about success and achievement. But, you know, in many ways, if you reverse engineer that, getting into the, climbing into the minds of people from different walks of life in different situations, uh, really what you're saying, and I just want to touch on the, on the compassion point that you've raised, Derek, which is, and I think I'm right in saying the, the dictionary definition is something like sympathetic, pity and concern for the suffering, uh, misfortune of others. Why is that so important? Well, I think that if you are compassionate and you value people, that's the key to success. Because for me, um, if you get off your agenda and you get onto that person, everybody's got something to offer. Yeah. And it's actually caring for them, developing them, nurturing them and giving them the potential and the opportunity. If you give people opportunities, you don't know how far they can go. But if you're always on your agenda, you're not listening, are you? But if you actually truly believe in empowering people mm. and as a leader, inspiring people and guiding them and developing them, then the world's your oyster. I'm not the best at anything, but what I am quite good at is motivating and making sure that I listen to people and helping them. Mm. And that sometimes is the best thing of a leader. You don't need to be the best engineer to run General Motors. You need to be the best with emotional awareness and emotional intelligence to look after people. That's a really strong message, isn't it? I mean, we, we hear a different take on, on that same subject from lots of different people. What would you say, therefore, um, are the transferable skills that those who might be listening to this podcast and thinking, you know, how can I improve myself as a person, indeed as a professional, as a leader, to, to take your point just then? What, what, are those, what are those requisite skills, would you, would you say, Derek? I think if you have the ability to listen and truly listen, you'll learn a lot. You won't learn, you'll learn for yourself, but you'll learn a lot about the people that are around you, what motivates them, what makes them tick. Have a deep understanding of yourself and a self-awareness as well. I am very aware of what my strengths are, what areas I need to develop, what my beliefs are, what I value, we talk to compassion, what I need and what I want. And if you can tap into that with people, that's the key to hook them into motivation. Many people make the mistake of being on their agenda when they lead teams. Mm. It's not your agenda. You lead that team. The importance of relationship building, it's everything. 
as a leader, you have to build those relationships. But clearly, sincerely, not with flattery. We see those people that will say nice things, mm. but be, be sincere because your reputation is built upon that and your reputation goes before you. And it was said to me very early day, doors, your reputation is built over 30 years, over many years, Derek. It can be lost in a moment. Mm. And actually, if you think about it, your reputation can take you everywhere. Yeah. I want to take you, just because we have so little time, and I know this is a, a certainly a subject I'd like to explore with you, can I take you back, if I may, to the summer of 2007? You were in command, weren't you, of an area of Warrington uh, and, the, and the very high-profile murder of Gary Newlove. Yes. Um, how did you deal with the media, the, the politics, and the, the public scrutiny and outcry that you found yourself having to deal with? I think I'd been party to investigations uh, that had been of murders, but I'd never been subjected to scrutiny in international media that befell me on that day. I think the climate within the UK was that we were tired of antisocial behaviour. Gary Newlove was a loving father of three, three young girls. Helen was a lovely person and is a lovely person. And I had to quite clearly grow myself on my oldest bit. I had to be clear, I was there for Helen, so I had to arrest and look at the crime, the crime to get that to justice. I had to protect the family and safeguarding. Within that square mile, we had witnesses, we had offenders, we had family. So that was my focus. With the media, I was more concerned about the community. It wasn't about me. It mattered not about me. Whatever was going to happen to me over the future months would have come out after the investigation or if I'd have been found wanting. But I led a team that was part of that community. My team were hurting as well. They were a very able team. And if they were good enough the day before, they were good enough the day after. And the art of it is stand forward, take responsibility. You lead the team, you're responsible. Take it away from others. Wow. What were your, what were your thoughts? Um, how did you feel as leader of, of that police team? My thoughts um, when I first saw Helen and the family, as they are with many victims, is I equate it to um, my family, my friends. I walked into that house and there was three young girls. Gary was a similar age to me. How would my children have felt if they had lost me? Had I done enough? I questioned myself, but I quickly focused on to the first thing I said to Helen was, I'm sorry. Now, I might well get criticised for saying that by certain people within the police. But I hear, I'm sorry, she has lost her husband, they've lost the father. And I was going to determine the university to do everything I could to try to make it better. If I'd made mistakes, be honest with Helen, be that wise counsel, because it's not about me, it's about supporting that family and their need and getting them back to a new life where as best they can, because life will never be the same again, they can move forward and remember the loving, caring father as I have of many of the victims or vulnerable persons I've dealt with. Do you think that's a, uh, a trait that runs through the police force generally? Um, we're talking generally because obviously in any profession, um, there's always the odd bad apple in the barrel. But what you're saying really, I, I think resonates with many people, but there's always going to be the skeptics that say, you know, they don't care. And But really what you're saying is that um, being honest and transparent and owning up to your responsibilities is a very important part of policing. Not Not just way back then, but today as well i've seen some of the finest officers the finest men and women uh, give their heart and soul they hurt they laugh they cry they get sad they they need emotional support they give more than they take the british police force and i've worked with um, some of the international police forces i'm proud they actually made me who i was 
So if I reacted in that way, it's because the people who led me made me that way. And I have to say that uh, the British Police Force uh, is, is the best in the world. I'm very proud to have been a member. Good for you. I, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of people listening saying Willie would say that, wouldn't he? But allow me, if I may, just to read um, very briefly an extract from a letter that uh, the Baroness Newlove of Warrington sent to you. Um, and, I, and I think I'm right in saying she quotes, Most importantly of all, I valued your genuine commitment to supporting victims and their families and loved ones. In all you have done to support me and the role, I know it comes from your passion to support those who have found themselves in often very difficult and painful circumstances. I've achieved a lot over the last few years, much more than I could have imagined, and that is credit to your support. So I think um, I'd like to take this opportunity on behalf of everyone who's, you know, found themselves one way or another um, dealing with or being supported by the police. I mean, all credit to you for for, for that kind of uh, that kind of um, endorsement from a very high-profile lady indeed, um, despite all of the problems that um, that she and her family suffered. How did you manage, therefore, to operate? How much, you know, throughout your whole career, because it's a very high-profile part of policing, Derek, how, how did you operate under such scrutiny and pressure? I mean, it must be very, very difficult to keep focused. I suspect with difficulty. I'll be quite clear and honest with you. I'll give you a bit myself. I've had wonderful emotional support from psychologists, uh, from occupational health, from talking to friends, to giving support. Um, I am troubled at times by younger officers, the fact that we need to get away from talking of mental health. We need to get on to talking more about emotional well-being. When young probationers come in, I talk to them about they will laugh, they will cry, they'll be happy, they'll be sad. That's just symptomatic of how they feel. Why should they not be able to do that openly and get the support? And it's not just within policing, it's across society, businesses, family, people go to work, they walk through that door, they face pressures. I'm not anybody special. I'm just one of many people, one of the many millions out there. But the one difference we can make is supporting our staff. And I use that word compassion and I keep talking about it because we need to care. If you can invest in people, and I mean that truly, not the other phrase, invest in people. Looking after people starts with looking after yourself, being aware of your own needs, and then you can go out and help other people. Because I want everybody to have that support that I got given. Just want to touch on that that point you made uh, there, Derek. Care, uh, belief, passion, all those other things. If you don't mind me sharing this with, with listeners, because obviously they don't have the benefit of a video feed, when I was reading that extract from the Baroness New Love's letter, you were actually quite emotional about it. Mm. I, can, I can see it even now. It, it means a lot, and I think that endorses what you said, and I want to share that with everyone listening because words are easy, but... Um, when they're spoken from the heart, which they clearly are in, the, in your case, I think they resonate far more with us. So again, all, all credit to you. It's, it's well documented that after the successful conviction of the offenders, uh, just three months afterwards, I might add, um, that four years later, Baroness Newlove personally requested your assistance at Westminster to set up the victim's uh, office commissioner. Um, what were your thoughts at the time? I think I was very proud, I was very honoured and I was very privileged to have that position because not only was I able to work with Helen, but I was able to meet many other people who'd uh, fought a very similar battle to Helen to have their voice heard. Many wonderful support groups are out there that do terrific work day and day, but equally be the voice of people who were unrecognised. To actually hold people to account, to go into those other criminal justice partners and just, instead of it being a faceless letter, it's a real life example. This is somebody who's suffering. Take it. So it's not, it's not that letter that goes to somebody which is just um, 
always said, it's actually t- take it there, personalize it and bring change. And Helen brought change. You know, there were some significant changes in the first year of her office. What was your relationship with her like? You know, I mean, she herself was a victim of crime, wasn't she? Yeah. So, I think she um, was inspirational. She wanted her, very funnily, Helen got upset that she didn't get personalised letters. First thing she said was, I wanted to review the victim's code, and she did that. I think we should have a victim's law. Uh, she brought the victim's right to review where people who were dissatisfied with the Crown Prosecution Service under certain terms could actually change it. The victim's impact statement, how powerful is that? That it's not the crime that's committed, it's the impact of the crime. Mm. And I really do think we need to get that message across. We push too much effort towards what we deem to be serious crime. Mm. Well, actually, the impact on the person is more important than the title of the crime. And we need to do a lot of work around that. The Commission of Victim Services, she brought localised. It, it was a terrific office to work in. It was a an office you could burn out in mm. and an office that had a shelf life. You, you placed great emphasis, didn't you, when running the Commission's office about understanding the needs of victims delivering a personal service. Can you elaborate a little bit further about how that influenced policy and direction? I think as, as we were just discussing, uh, because I got to meet some fantastic people and I heard some of the saddest um you would not uh, believe some of the suffering that some people have had i was able to take that to the corridors of power under helen's guise and speak to ministers speak to senior criminal justice partners and actually say how they could influence and change to actually do better by victims of vulnerable persons mm. because what helen wanted ahead of everything and i agree with her was she wanted everybody to have her journey why was she special she was one of many she was not a politician. She was not a practitioner. But by golly, she got heard. And everybody should have that right. And if you work in the public service, then you should really want what I want, and which I wanted for 30 years and still do now, the very best for people. It's fabulous what you've done together. Um, so, so what are you doing now? Let's just find out a little bit about what you're doing at the moment before we come back to a couple of other questions. Well, since leaving, I've spent time with the family. Uh, which has been lovely. I've now had to apply for time off and leave. Uh, I've very quickly gone back into doing some work, uh, selecting, motivating uh, police officers of differing ranks with some forces. Uh, I work with private industry on negotiation because the skills that a negotiator have are very transferable right across the business. What are we looking for? And the the selection criteria is because actually... It's about the values and beliefs. I keep coming back to that. Having the right people. What are the values and beliefs of that company? Are they right? Because it shouldn't be financial gain at any cost. Everybody can do good, can't they? Everybody can do corporate responsibility. And if people click into that, it's not just about money. It's about kind acts. If you're a firm out there with a specialism, go and do a nice thing. Go and help somebody. It doesn't cost you money, but it will really make your staff more compassionate and balanced because everybody in life is touched by some things they'd rather not be touched by. Mm. And um, what, what have you learned from uh, this entire experience? If you don't mind asking, are you still in touch with Helen? I mean, I think um, I say this to everybody I work with and it's become a, <laughs> when they need me and it's almost in front of my feet, I'm there. So with Helen, like with many victims, I've dealt with hundreds, you are very supportive in the critical time and crisis of their lives. You have to help them recover by actually disappearing from their lives as well, or else you will be a constant reminder. 
And also, there's many other people who need that love, support and help of the operators within the policing service I'm out with. I'm, I'm really fascinated, Derek, by what you just said around, um, if I've got this right, critical times, crises. We talk a lot about success and a lot of people assume that people who are successful don't have crises. They don't have road bumps and challenges and obstacles, but clearly they do. And that's a theme that runs through all of these podcasts, actually. What's your advice to people who do find themselves having to deal with a particularly difficult life event or a problem in family or business? You've talked about stepping away, which was really interesting. Mm -hmm. What other things do you think people should be thinking about when dealing with problems? Always have the ability to talk to others. You're surrounded by, it doesn't matter what level you're at, specialists. Some of the finest officers I've worked with didn't go on rank. It's often said to me by a, a, a good detective sergeant, or what name, he says, it's not the rank you achieve, it's what you achieve in the rank. And the best leaders are the leaders who do listen. Now, there are six areas that I often do leadership training around and say, to be a great leader, if you have these six qualities, they will go a long way. Oh, share them. You must um, share them. Well, I will try. <laughs> and a lot of the people out have worked with me might say, <laughs> but I think, you. first of all, it starts with the care and compassion, isn't it? The, the well-being and development of staff. That gives you the likability. That's the key one, likability. You then have to be consistent and committed with your staff, with the people you work with, with the community, and actually that your your message is clear and listening to their ideas of people that come in, you're accepted and you'll help them be creative. I think the third one is, and uh, when we talk about encouraging ideas and also innovation, it's the word reciprocity. Celebrate the success with people, but equally, when they make a mistake, have a safe learning environment. You, you, they are, you are, they're safe to make the mistake and let them go again. The best leaders have made many mistakes. I've made many mistakes. I'm not saying I'm one of the best leaders. I think the fourth thing is that uh, the authority, you know, when people worked under me, I had the command. And that's not a big I am. It meant that if they made mistakes, I carried the can. If they had successes, they celebrated their successes. I think the other thing is, and I mentioned it's about um, social proof, your reputation. I often find now my opportunities come off people saying, I've heard about you. That's great. It's lovely. If you get an approach from somebody to work with them, just based off what they've heard, your reputation matters. But most importantly, if you do the first five, scarcity, you'll be a unique leader. People will want you because actually that's how we should be going in the future because it all starts with emotional awareness and ends with emotional awareness and intelligence. You can be capable and competent, but if you haven't got that emotional awareness, you're of no use to your team. Yeah, six brilliant tips. And uh, by way of endorsing everything you've said from a credibility perspective, uh, I know that you were commended for for your work winning multiple awards, accolades for engaging communities and protecting vulnerable people, and of course, delivering justice for victims. Why would you say, clearly there's six points, but why would you say you in particular were so successful as a leader um, serving within the police force, uh, all these people that you have helped along the way? I don't think I ever forgot who I was. I take myself back to being a child. Uh, I had a loving family upbringing. We didn't have much money. Don't need money. I often say to people that uh, when you go to save a life, it's different. I don't ask, have you got a card? It's not going onto account. So it doesn't matter if you're a multimillionaire or if you haven't got a penny. The job that I love is serving. Um, my passion for service and seeing the pleasure on people's faces or trying to help people with problems will never diminish. I can't help it. It's a wonderful way to be. And uh, 
I think if you truly do look after your staff and keep clear purpose about what you're about and show them the benefits to society, then it's, it's great fun for them too. It should be fun. They do a difficult job. We've done a full 360. When we were talking earlier on about the Baroness New Love's letter to you and, and what that meant to you, clearly, personally, I can now see this beaming smile as you talk with passion about um, about what you believe in and, and what you've achieved in your career. What what would you... I mean, there's obviously a lot still to do. You've, you've achieved huge amounts and, and serve your colleagues in the police service and all that have supported you in Parliament. But there's still a lot to do, obviously. What would you want for, for others who face the same challenges that uh, the Baroness New Love and her family face? I think other than wanting them to have their voice heard as much as Helen's was, I think we had a victim's code, which is an advisory code. Um, I would like to see a victim's law that would rebalance the skills of justice. There's lots of laws and regulations for how we should deal with people who are offenders but there aren't so much for victims. And I think victims deserve a law that holds to account statutory agencies. Rehabilitation is a key area for me. Not just of victims, that is really important, but also of offenders, giving them opportunities because often they come from broken homes. Often they've been victims themselves. And actually, if you give opportunities, you will break that cycle. Community resolutions really matter. It's not all about jail. Actually, that will change nobody's behaviour. You've got to work on education of that. Uh, and more so, and this is a real key thing for me, is let's get away from titles and let's start looking at support for people on the impact of crime. For instance, a public order crime can ruin a, a person's life, the intimidation, whereas a serious assault by another organised crime on another organised crime might be just brushed off. Mm. And we just need to look at people. Stop doing titles, look at people and what they need. You talked earlier on, Derek, about uh, our police service being the best in the world. And I'm talking about those who live in the UK listening to this. Um, and I think most of us would agree with that. What's your view on uh, our, our service, our police force? What's your view on our police force being armed? A bit controversial, I know, but a lot of people are talking about it at the moment with all the gun crime and, and stuff like that. So I, I'm, I'm for it. I'm an ex-firearms commander. I think we have some of the highest trained specialist firearms officers we need. Not all officers are armed. Need They need not be armed neither. I don't want to work through to every police officer being armed. But I do think we've uh, seen an increase in the number of armed officers. It's there to safeguard. They're, not, they're there to actually maximise the safety of the public. And when there is an incident, to minimise the the, the 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 action of the perpetrators mm. and for me um we we do it diligently and i think some of the far more experienced firearms commanders than i am do excellent work as they do operatives on the street we are asking them to protect life carrying a firearm how brave is that mm. i haven't done it have i got the courage to do it i don't know but i tell you for those officers that are out there doing it wonderful job protecting the public safeguarding the future I think a lot of people do underestimate the, uh, the tremendous work the police service do in this country and, and the sacrifices they make, not just physically, but emotionally as well. So if, if we can find a way to kind of encapsulate a lot of what's been said already, what would you say, and it's a wide-ranging question, what would you say was your recipe for success? And I'm not necessarily talking about business, but you've touched on a number of things and loads of lovely messages and thoughts that have come out of this, this discussion today. What would you say would be your recipe for success if you could... Cover it all off in a couple of sentences. 
one of the things that really struck me from a time in London at Westminster was the one of the thing that unified politicians was they cared. They genuinely cared. I know they get a lot of bad press, but I was inspired by political parties, all resets, who could come together to actually think about what's best to safeguard the public. Now, we've got a review of policing at the moment and the criminal justice system. I think we need to invest the time, the discussions, but equally, if there is more money required and austere times brings opportunity, sometimes just listening to the operators in the field, the senior chief constables, the police and crime commissioners, and actually listening to their own heart. I talk of compassion, thinking about when they look at investing, this could be their children, their brother, their sister, their mum and dad, looking at proactivity and uh, protecting as opposed to re reactive and response. If you invest in the proactive measures, the community policing teams, the preventative measures that we can take, then you might well save yourself a lot of money down the line, but equally you'll save lives and make a difference. I'm loving some of the leadership messages that you shared with us today. What? Uh, so let's take you to an interview situation. A lot of people listening run businesses or are looking to run businesses or grow their businesses. What qualities do you look for, Derek, when interviewing potential employees for jobs or internal roles? Oh, I'm, I'm really, uh, you've tapped onto something really care, I care about. Representation within the workforce. Is it diverse? Not just based on identity, but ideas. What's the representation? Now, when I joined the police force, thank goodness it's far more representative of society we police. Uh, it goes without saying, emotional intelligence, awareness of how they're going to look after people. I think a clear understanding of the role that they've done and the fact they've researched it, but also a willingness to learn. You don't just arrive in a post being the top. That willingness to learn and ch you know, change how you are is a key factor. Positivity. I'm not talking about blind optimism here. Mm. What I'm talking about is actually positive setbacks create opportunities. And I, I really mean that. You know, it's great. If you have a setback, how are you going to be actually put it back? But are you willing to take responsibility as well? That really matters to me, but you don't pass, you know, bad news um, down to staff. Mm. And actually at the heart of it all is the person's values and beliefs. So we've heard a lot about you and your skills as a leader, but how does Derek Lockie develop himself? It's a very good question and uh, one that I'm asking myself at the moment. <laughs> as you might well know, Sandro, I'm working with a few organisations, speaking to a few. Uh, I've got a real, real passion and desire to help people going forward, help how we form policy, help maybe some of the political thinking. Uh, I'm still very operational uh, and it often starts with, can you meet somebody for a coffee? And when I meet somebody for a coffee, they tell me what the problem is. And that's probably when I'm at my best. If somebody says, I've got a problem, I always know how to help, or I always know a wee pal or some expert that can help as well. And I think 2019 is going to be an exciting year. I just need to make sure that uh, I can make a difference in the two key areas that matter to me advancing how we talk about mental health amongst society and equally social responsibility. We've got plenty of time on your side. You don't strike me as old enough to have left the police service. You're clearly a terrific loss to them, um, but obviously loads of years ahead of you to do all these wonderful things that you'd like to achieve. What I would say about that was there was more capable and competent people than I, and it is a time to let the new brighter generation come through. I loved my time. I was thrilled in my time. It was the right time to leave. And there's some great people coming through the ranks and also in the ranks. Are you optimistic for the future in terms of the relationship between the police and the general community in this country? I am. We police by consent. Uh, there are difficult times. Um, you only have to look at some of the issues that surround 
knife crime. Um, but there's some fantastic leaders. And if you remember the police, um, we do it without fear or favour. Uh, they turn up where others will not. They go towards trouble whilst others come away. Mm. And uh, I admire them. I've been part of it, but I look at it and I, I, I admire the work they've done. I feel fortunate enough to have been selected to serve for 30 years. Well, hopefully the many thousands of people that listen to this podcast will perhaps have, have had a view changed or two listening to the insightful words that you've shared with us today. I have to ask you one question, and it's the question we ask all our guests. So sorry to put you on the spot a little bit here. Um, you can certainly attest to the fact that we kind of make this up as we go along, but they're always the best kind of interviews. Um, let's just assume that you now have a, a young Derek Lockie next to you. It might be a son or a nephew. And uh, as he's going off into the big wide world, thinking about what he wants to do with his future, he looks to you and he says, Dad, Uncle, um, give me a few words of wisdom based on all the things that you've learned in your life and your career. Talking to the 15-year-old version of yourself, what advice would you give to that young boy? Well, I'm fortunate enough to have a daughter and a son, uh, particularly my son. What I would say is uh, go with your heart, follow your heart, do the right thing at all times and enjoy yourself uh, and be brave. It's too easy to just mm. do and be scared. Courage overcomes fear. Just be brave, reach out, make your mistakes and just enjoy life. If you don't mind me saying, you, you strike me as a very modest guy, so I'm probably going to embarrass you when I say this, particularly since I'm sharing it with a lot of people, but you are such a modest, straightforward, nice, if that's a, a good enough word to describe you, guy. And I think if, if you are representative of our police force i think one we're in very safe hands and two i think there's a very very bright future in this country i, I want to take this opportunity because people like you derek go unnoticed all too often and from reading the baroness new love's letter which i've been privileged enough to be able to do uh, to to really all these amazing pearls of wisdom that you've shared with us i want to thank you on behalf of everyone listening and there's a lot of people listening um I think the final question in, in recognising all that you've done is how do people find out more about you? You know, because people are going to be emailing and, and calling in and saying, okay, how do we find out more about Derek Lockie? Because he's taught us so much, we've learned so much. And where do we find him? Website, email address? Probably making a rod for your own back here, but... No, I'd, uh, I'd love to hear from people. I'd love the opportunity to help people. I'm not, and people will say this, I'm not driven by monetary values. I'm driven by the want to help people form opinion, form policy. Uh, and I don't have a website, as you say. Um, I'm at that crossroads. I'm looking for the opportunities. I'm enjoying doing some things. And uh, by all means, if there was to contact yourselves, I'd be delighted to speak to anybody and see if there's any help I can give. Uh, if it's been useful to anybody, it's been a, a purposeful day. So what we'll do is we'll encourage people to email us, um, hello at sandraispodcast.com, and then we'll pass on those inquiries to you and you can get in contact directly. Would that be, that'd be, very that'd kind. be a good Thank way of you. doing it? Okay, Thank fabulous. You. So Derek Lockie, wish I could have spoken to you longer and maybe you'll be kind enough to come back and speak to us some more at some point in the future because there'll be numerous calls for that to happen so um may i once again take this opportunity to thank you. it's been a pleasure meeting you um everything i heard about you is true and uh long may your success continue in all that you do thanks sandra well what a truly inspiring genuine and all-round good guy Derek lockie fantastic 
Remember, there are many more guests joining me over the coming weeks, so please make sure you subscribe if you want to pick up some great tips on success. Remember, as always, you can follow us on social media at Sandro's Podcast, that's Sandro's with an S, same on all channels. And we'd love to hear your stories, your ideas, anecdotes, challenges, or whatever motivates you. So please email me, hello at sandrospodcast.com. And if you can, please leave a review on iTunes so we know what you'd like more of in the future. Thank you. Thank you.